I want you to think back uh, to a time when you were a young uh, kid and you probably got this question a lot. And as you grew up, you probably got this question a lot more. And uh, these graduates here, they're going to get this question again. Uh, lots and lots, especially at the graduation open houses. It's like the number one question everybody asks you. And it's, uh, what are you going to do with your future? Or when you're little, it's like, what are you going to do when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? And uh, chances are that uh, whatever you may have said when you were younger, you probably uh, didn't become that. Uh, But I was talking to my uh, five-year-old son, Judah, the other day. And we're riding in the car and he says, Daddy... I want to be just like you when I grow up and be a pastor. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's awesome, Jude. And he's like, or a superhero. <laughs> okay, that's cool too. I will proud, be the proud dad uh, of a superhero. That'd be awesome. But we have these uh, dreams and, and aspirations when we're younger. And, and even from as, as young as we can remember, as little as we uh, could remember, people were asking us, what do you want to be when you grow up? And so they were already guiding us toward a thought process of thinking about what is ahead, thinking about what you will do in the future, and asking you a a vision question, really, like, where do you see yourself someday? And all throughout life, not only do people ask us, and we're kind of forced to think about it, but we actually just think about it in general, because we wonder, like, there's, there's got to be more to life than just kind of mundanely going through the motions day by day. And we, we have goals, and we have uh, ideas and dreams for that promotion, or maybe to, to grow up someday and have a family and, and have a great relationship with a spouse maybe, or just have great friendships, and, and maybe some in the room, uh, your aspiration uh, for the future when you grow up, you want to uh, have children, and you want uh, a lot of children like Mindy and I, and uh, maybe you just want one, you're like, one's enough, it'd be cool to have one, but I'm good after that. But we have a lot of different dreams and aspirations and visions, and we, we have these things that are, that are a little bit far off, but we end up finding ourselves going through life, and we We actually achieve some successes, but these successes uh, oftentimes find us empty because they come at the expense of something uh, much more valuable. And so in other words, maybe we, we get ahead, but it came at the expense of just a little dishonesty. Maybe just a, a little white lie. Maybe we, we gain achievement, but it, uh, or we gain achievement, but it comes at the expense of cheating. And so we, we see that all the time in professional sports and an athlete that wants to get ahead. And so uh, they maybe take a supplement here or there that's not quite legal, uh, but they want to gain achievement at the expense of cheating. Or maybe we just want to get stuff. We just like cars and houses and boats and we like to try to impress people with what we have or we want to just enjoy the things. Maybe it's not such like a, a bad heart that we're trying to impress other people, but we just, we just like things. And so we gain things, but it comes at the cost of something much more valuable in life, which is financial security. We, we get that promotion, and we, uh, but it comes at the expense of maybe uh, family or long-lasting real relationships because we simply just don't have time to invest into the relationships that matter most because why? We're too busy. We're trying to get ahead. We're trying to get the promotion. We're trying to gain more. We're trying to build our kingdom. We're trying to achieve something else. And so I thought for us this morning, we're wrapping up the series that uh, our pastor has been in called Five Words, and it's five words that will make your family better. And if you missed any of those, uh, please 
please uh, go online. Really great messages, and they actually will make your family better. And so I was tasked to choose a word today that would help shape the, the ending of our series. It's the last week, and so I'm thinking about, well, we're little, and we're thinking ahead, and what's the vision for our life, and, and all of that. And so I thought about this word, end. What if we use the word end today? And it's like cool, too, because it's the end of the series, too, right? Right? It works, right? And so there's a book that's called uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And the second habit in the book says, start with the end in mind. Whatever you put your, your mind to do, let it be in light of where you're trying to go. In other words, if you're planning a trip, you need to know where your final destination lies. If you're going to Florida, you may pack a little bit differently than if you're going to Alaska. Because everything from point A to point Z is ultimately determined by where you're trying to end. Start with the end in mind. And I thought it was a really good word, but then I thought, you know what, I think, I think that there's a word that could actually go beyond the word end because the end let's just be honest in here one out of every one people this has been proven it's been scientifically proven one out of every one people will die a hundred percent of us in this room we will die at some point in our life I mean isn't that the end and so we might think well when when my end comes I would like to be able to leave my family a little bit of money I would like to be able to leave my family a house that they can sell that's paid for and they can fight over how much everybody gets when it's finally sold. Uh, We have an end point, but there's actually something that goes beyond the end. And therefore, we find our word today, what goes beyond just the end is the word legacy. It's our legacy. Because our legacy will continue beyond just the end. A legacy is anything handed down as if from an ancestor or predecessor. It's anything handed down. The legacy that we leave is what we are passing down to those behind us. That could be kids. That could be young people we work with. There's a lot of teachers in here. We're leaving a legacy to them by the way that we live Every day we we lead others. See, the legacy that we're building is the everyday life that we're living. The legacy that we are building is the everyday things that we do in life. It's the end. It's not just the end. It's something more than the end. It's a legacy that continues because of what we have been able to pass along. As we lead others... As we shape the lives of others behind us by what we are handing them. It's true that our legacy will actually be measured in our presence from this life. I'm sorry, in our absence from this life rather than our presence. See, we're working really hard and we're, we're doing lots of stuff now. But the, the true measure of your life and my life will be measured in our absence, not our presence. My dad has always taught me in leadership that the true uh, measurement of a good leader is always measured in the absence of the leader, not the presence. In other words, uh, what happens with the employees when the boss is gone? How do they behave when he's not actually there? That's the true measure of that leader. So I don't really know what that says for Pastor Mark. He's gone today and look what happened. (laughs) But... 
the true measure of our lives will actually be measured in what we leave behind. The proof that you existed, the portrayal of your life will only be articulated by the people who are still here when you're not. The legacy that we're building, the legacy that we're leaving is the one that we're living every single day. A mentor of mine, he always taught me this. We teach what we know, but we duplicate who we are. We teach our kids what we want them to know and what's right and what's wrong and you should do this and you should do that, but we're actually duplicating who we are, not just what we teach. It's not just our words. I was feeding my uh, little uh, son yesterday. He's 15 months old. And uh, as you, got, you can probably tell, I've been fighting a little bit of sickness this week. And so yesterday I was feeding him breakfast and I started coughing and then he started coughing. He was like trying to make himself cough. I'm like, no, 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 Jace, don't cough. You're going to hurt your throat, you know. Like, don't do, cough, dude. And so what did he do? He coughed again. Like, he, he thought it was cool because that's what I was doing. And so I was trying to teach him what I know. Don't do that, son. You're going to hurt your voice. But he actually wanted to do what I was doing, not what I was teaching. How often is it that those two things are divided we went to uh, our other, one of our other kids, I know we have a lot, uh, <laughs> program at school this week, and they were singing, our God is so big, our God is so strong, there's nothing my God cannot do. And when I was listening to them, I was thinking, wow, how sad is that? That there, there may be kids in our children's ministry that are learning a song like that or similar to that, but yet they go home and the home life and the environment at home is everything but that. Our God is so big. Our, our God is so strong. There's, there's nothing he can't do except help my wife and I love each other when we live in the same home raising the same kids. He can do everything except that. Our God is so big. He's so strong. There's, there's nothing he can't do except give us peace when we lose a loved one or when we get the bad doctor's report. He's so big and so strong, he can do anything except get us out of this financial mess that we've gotten ourselves into. See, we live, we, we know the teachings, we know the principles, we know the right things to do, but we don't duplicate what we teach, we duplicate who we are. So who are you? And I have to look at myself in the mirror and say, Nate, who are you? Nate, what are you duplicating for those people who are following you? My kids... Our students here at church, our neighbors who are watching us, they, they know we're Christians, they know we're believers, they know we love Jesus, they're watching us. What are we handing down to those who we are leading? <clears throat> Deuteronomy uh, says it like this. It says, take to heart all the words of warning that I have given you today. Pass them on as a command to your children so they will obey every word of these instructions. These instructions are not empty words, but they are your life. I mean, isn't that setting out for us the difference in just knowing the rules, knowing the right things, knowing what you're supposed to do, teaching those things. But he's saying, don't just do that because they're just empty. I want these to become your life. 
This is the way that you live your life. These commands, these decrees of God, this way that he says is the best way to live, which is ultimately good for us. They're not just a list of rules. He puts these parameters in our lives. He gives us these instructions so that we can have full and abundant life, which is what he said that he came to do. Don't just make this our Christianity box over here. Our family, we go to church on Sundays. That's just what we do. We, we, we pray for a meal every once in a while if we remember and everybody's not too hungry. We have our, our religion box over here. It makes me feel good to go to church. I'm, I'm okay, we have this. And then we have our, our entertainment and the things we like to do. And then we, we have our family over here. And then we have our career over here. And we have some of our goals over here. And we have all these different boxes. And he says, no, I want you to accept my decrees, accept my commands, embrace my desires for your life. Make them your life. I grew up, and my dad was a contractor. He is a contractor. And for everything that my dad stopped and taught me how to do, there were 10 more things that I learned how to do just by watching him. For every one thing he stopped to show me, Nate, let me, let me show you exactly how to do this right here. There were 10 more things that I learned just by standing over here watching him do it first. The legacy we are building is the everyday life that we're living. It's what we're handing down every minute of every day, every conversation, every response to our children, every interaction with our spouse in front of our kids. We're handing down to them our legacy. I mean, it's a, that, that's a difficult reality for all of us. You mean my son will treat his wife the way I treat mine? Yes, exactly. You mean my, my daughter will respond to controversy and, and drama the same way that I did? Yeah. You mean the measure that I love Jesus and sought Him and was committed to Him in my life is the measure that my kids will most likely follow as well? Yep. It's the legacy that we're handing down to those behind us. This is not just for parents. There are people watching us. We are leading others by the way that we live. What will people say about you on that day when you do come to the end? Hopefully they'll be able to speak more than just the end. My dad really, really, really loved Ohio State football. That's cool. I hope they say that. I mean, it's much better than Michigan. But hopefully, hopefully there's a legacy that can be proclaimed when your end does come, that can, can speak and can continue on from there. If our legacy is being lived and built by our everyday actions, our everyday life, what if we were able to adopt some everyday habits into our life? Some everyday type commitments 
that when we walk out of the doors from here, we can commit as we, we take that step into the foyer, we take that step into the parking lot, we're stepping back into the reality of our world and our individual lives. And we take that step with these commitments to seek Jesus first and to make him known. What if the legacy that we're leaving behind could be that man, Nate, he sought Jesus first. For my dad, his priority was Jesus first. I never had a question about it. He sought God and he made him known. Psalm says it like this, how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. The gospel is always designed to continue from generation to generation. When you read about the gospel, when you read about those who advance the gospel throughout scripture and our instructions, even as uh, individual believers, it is always predicated on the idea that we have to pass it on. We have to keep it going. We're handing something down. We're leaving something for the next generation. Let me hand you, son, my desire and my seeking after God. The, the way that hopefully, son, you saw me do it, I want you to do it the same way. And what happens? Their children will be successful everywhere. Wouldn't that be awesome? Matthew says it like this, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. All the stuff we're worried about, our jobs, and, and it goes before that to say we're, we're worried about what we will eat and what we will drink. I mean, really what they're saying, well, I'm worried about my livelihood. And those are the things that we get so caught up in in the day to day that we forget to seek Jesus first above all else. For that day. One day at a time. I will seek him today. Above all else. I will seek to be right with God today. Above all else. David says it like this. How lovely. Is your dwelling place. O Lord of heaven's armies. I long. Yes I faint with longing. To enter the courts of the Lord. In other words he's saying. Jesus, if I can just be like in the front yard of the house where you reside, that would be better than a thousand days anywhere else. That would be better than any promotion room that I could sit in and be given the greatest raise of my life. That would be better than any group of friends that I could possibly attain and spend my time with. That would be better than any amount of money that I could see is on my bank statement. Just one day I seek after you. I long for you. I even faint with longing for you because I just want just even one day in the front yard of the house where you live than a thousand days anywhere else. Do we, do we seek God like that? Because the Bible calls this man a man after God's own heart. And this man, David, also said, you know what, God, would you just grant me a few more days, even in my old age, so that I may proclaim your mighty, wondrous works to the next generation. 
That was a man after God's own heart that not only sought God with everything, but he sought God with the intention of, please, let me pass this on. Let me tell him how good you are, God. Let me tell him how great you are in my life. Let me tell him about the forgiveness you've extended me. Let me tell them about your mighty, wondrous works just one more day, even in my old age. Yes, I long for you, Jesus. Yes, I, I faint for you, Jesus. I just want, just give me one day. Just give me one day in your presence. Is, is there anyone in here who lives like that? I, I don't know. Can't answer that for you. I have to look at myself and say, Nate, are you a God seeker? If my kids were to be asked some characteristics about their father, would they say, he seeks God first above all else. God is the most important thing in his life. What Jesus has done for him is the most important thing in his life. When we sit down to eat, we pray. It doesn't have to be serious all the time. I'm not talking about being in your room for hours and hours a day on your knees necessarily. And that's cool if you want to do that. I'm probably not going to. But Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this food. Thank you for, for providing for me for another day. You hear the ambulance pass by. Hey, guys, let's kids, let's pray real quick. Somebody's injured. God, help whoever that is that they're going to help right now. Your kid hurts their thumb like it did the other day. God, please help Judah's thumb. It was pretty cool. He said, Dad, thank you for praying for me. I was done. Just seeking God in everyday life. Kids, look, look at the beautiful sunrise that God gave us today. Look at the beautiful sunset that he gave us today. Isn't it beautiful outside? Kids, look at the rain that God has given us so that the crops can grow and so that our, our life can stay healthy. And it's crazy how God does all of these things, isn't it, kids? Look at the beautiful trees over there. Look what God has done. Look how God has blessed us. We have another meal on the table. We have a home to sleep in tonight. Kids, look at how God has blessed us. We seek him first above all else. We realize that our life and our reality has to revolve completely 100% around him. He continues in verse 10 here, as I mentioned here. You got a single day in your courts. It's better than a thousand elsewhere. Just, just one day to be able to seek God. Just one day to be able to honor him. Just one day to be able to get to know him better. It means more than anything else that we could do with our lives. There's a verse that we've all heard, whether you are a church person in here or you're not, you've probably heard this verse or seen it painted on some football player's um, eyes, you know, or something. Uh, but Jeremiah 29, 11, and it talks about how God's plans are good for us and his intentions are good for us and he has plans that prosper us. So we're going to start in verse 10. I want to read you what this says. It says, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. I mean, it starts out like not very good at all. Before you get to the good that God has, it's like you're going to be in captivity still for another 70 years. And then I will come and do for you all the good things that I have promised and will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you. Here it is. It says the Lord, they are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. When will he listen? If you look for me, wholeheartedly, if we do what for him? If we look for him, 
you will find me. The thing about this verse is before this, he instructs the people to have children. He says, go have children, and then I want you to tell your children to have some children. This promise of good isn't actually even for the people that are receiving this word. Think about this. I want you to go have some kids, and I want you to tell them to give you some grandbabies. Because for the next 70 years, things are not going to be good for you. Well, thank you, God. That's cool. (laughs) But he says, a couple generations away, I'm going to show my people. Because I am the God of all generations, and I am good, and I do have good plans. And so I want you to leave a legacy for these kids that they see, even in your captivity. Even though you've been in captivity for 70 years. Even though you're in this, I want you to continue to tell them that God is good, that he has good plans, that he has plans to prosper you. That is a legacy worth leaving to our children, that God is good and that he has good plans for us. He has good plans for the next generation. And we in this room, we are the ones to hand it to those following us. We are the ones to hand it to the ones that we have leadership with. God has good plans. We seek him. We love him. We honor him. We faint for him. And we see and we understand that he is good. And we pass that on to our kids so that they can prosper, so that they can see the blessings of God in their life. Isn't it amazing? Verse 14, it finishes with this. I will be found by you. What an amazing promise that when we seek, when we pray, he will listen and he will be found by us. Could we we make a commitment to seek God first in everything we do and to make him known? Acts 1.8, it says this, it says, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. We have an assignment. We have a privilege. We have an honor to make Jesus known to those around us, to pass on, to hand down Jesus to others. Second Corinthians says it like this, verse, or chapter 5, verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That means we are his highly, highest ranking government officials. Like we are the person who can speak on his behalf. It says as though we were making, as though he, God were making his appeal through us. In other words, Nate, I want you to speak to people as if I were speaking to them. Whoa. Jeff, I want you to speak to people as if I were speaking to them. Mom or dad, I want you to communicate and interact and instruct and discipline and love your children as if it's me doing that. We want to seek Jesus first and know him intimately and deeply for ourselves. And we want to make him known. Making him known is a lot less about preaching on a street corner holding a sign and it's a lot more like loving your neighbor as yourself. Like fulfilling the greatest commandment that Jesus ever gave 
which was that we would love one another as he has loved us. See, he showed us how to do it first and then he passed it on to us, right? It's the way of Jesus. It's the way he taught us to do it. I want you to do it. And then others will follow you in doing that. So in the same way, kids, Christians, followers of me, I've shown you how to love one another. I've shown you how to forgive. I've shown you how to extend grace. I've shown you how to be patient. I've shown you how to be selfless, how to give yourself up, how to die to what you want for the sake of someone else, how to leverage what you have and what you've been given to help another person. I've shown you how to do it, and I'm handing this now on to you, and I want you to do the same. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, making him known is much less about telling people how much we love them. And I think that's the problem with the American church in general, is we keep saying over and over and over that we love the world, that we love sinners as we term them. We love the outsiders, but we refuse to actually show them. We find ourselves inside these four walls, and we have our Sunday thing, and we do the routine. But when we go out there, we're saying a lot of stuff, but we don't show it. We don't show the love. It's so much less about telling the world how much we love them. It's so much less about telling the next generation how we love them. And so much more about actually getting involved and loving them. 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious and expressible joy. And it goes on to say in the next verse, even though we cannot see God, the best way for us to live out our faith is to love one another. It's faith expressed through love. It's our faith in God expressed through love. See, the legacy that we're building, the legacy that we're leaving for our families, the legacy that we're handing down and passing down, is the everyday life that we live. It's the everyday interactions with one another. Our band is coming, and at UIC we often do worship at the end of the service. And it's a response to what God has been challenging our hearts with. Worship is a choice. And I hope for the next few minutes that in this room we could truly Seek God and seek his desire for our life to make him known to others. That we would become so aware as a church, as people, that our role is to leave a legacy worth following for those behind us. Today we've experienced a a lot of new stuff. This is probably the first time our church has ever like dressed up in crazy decades and stuff. This is probably the first time somebody's actually ever stood up here and preached in a hat. I mean, that's a little weird, right? You know, for some who grew up in church a long time ago, it's a no-no. You don't even wear a hat inside the church. I mean, things are different, but the, the unique thing about blueprints and building materials and tools 
See, they're all used to build a structure. When we all go home today, we're all going to our houses and they all look just a little bit different. But guess what? They absolutely serve the same purpose. And even though there's a bunch of new ways of doing things and we like to do things in a new way for a new generation, we're still communicating the same gospel. We're still communicating and handing down the same legacy. And that's that every generation has a calling to seek God first, to seek Jesus with everything in us and to make him known to others, to seek him first and to make him known. And whether that message was preached in the 1960s or the 1970s, 80s, 90s or now it's the same message today and for all time because God is the same he is the beginning and he is the end and he is worthy of our lives yesterday today and forever and so could we in this room make a commitment that although there are old ways of doing things and although there are new ways of doing things the one thing that will never change is that we will leave a legacy where we will seek God first and we will make him known to the world.